A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, If you're listening to this on a podcast app, it might be Spotify or Apple. Um, This is actually a new series where I'm going to be posting an extra episode each week on a Friday. Um, It'll be a shorter episode, 10 to 15 minutes, and it will work to an Ask Me Anything format. And the questions will be posed by my Substack audience. Uh, They regularly send me questions um, and I often do these AMAs over there on my Substack. Um, So if you want to join that community, I'll be putting the link in the show notes um, below. Um, If you would like to join the community, you can actually go and watch this episode as a video. So you get to see me in my my Parisian apartment, which is where I'm living now. Um, And you also get to join a conversation afterwards in the the comments, in the comments section. So it becomes a bit of a thread 
and this is something that I do regularly with the Substack community. This is also where I do all of my responding to questions, my interaction on social media. Increasingly, I'm just not doing this on Facebook or Instagram and certainly not Twitter uh, for a bunch of probably fairly obvious reasons to any of you listening here. Um, I also offer to this Substack community um, sessions, one-on-one sessions with me over Zoom. And there's a few of those that I offer each month. The slots go fairly quickly and they're only available to the paid community. So I'll have all of those details in the post and also at the bottom of um, this episode if you're listening on a wild podcast uh, application. Okay, so let's get started. I won't always work with uh, two questions, um, but this time I am going to combine two questions which are quite similar. They came in this week from Amy and another from Kat. Kat is German, lives in Australia. And essentially their questions are asking me, why did I leave Australia? Why did I move to Paris? And do I miss the land? And how do I cope with that sort of tension between being connected to Australia and yet needing to leave? And I guess the pushback I get from friends and family in Australia when I made this decision. I think it's a very timely time to be talking about this very topic as it is the eve of the voice referendum. For those of you from overseas, there are many of you, um, Australians, all of, you know, every Australian of voting age um, is required tomorrow morning, uh, it's Saturday morning, um, to vote on a change to the constitution, an amendment to the constitution, and that requires this referendum process. Um, and the question that we're being asked to vote on is whether we think First Nations people the First Nations people of Australia, uh, should be recognised as such in the Constitution. Um, and, you know, should we do this by giving them a voice, an advisory body of Indigenous elders that are able to advise on issues affecting First Nations people? Um, they're a very disadvantaged group of Indigenous people. Um, I go into the details of this in a number of posts if you want to catch up on it, and I'll post links to those. Um, but it's an important, important referendum to be having. And as it stands right now, it's looking like a no vote will get up, but we never know. It's important to be asking the questions that Kat and Amy are asking of me because I do believe that this voice, whichever way the vote goes, will present something of a reckoning to the everyday Australian and to Australia broadly, our sense of identity and our place in the world. And I'll get to that in a moment. So Kat, your question very much spoke to this idea of whether I miss the land in Australia. And it's interesting because you're German and uh, you've picked up on this sense of belonging that the Australian landscape provides. Um, it certainly does. And it is very much uh, part of my sense of self, really. Um, and it's always provided a sense of home when I've travelled, which I've done since I was 18. It's very different to the rest of the world. I do hike here in, the, in Europe. I um, go out into nature on a regular basis. But in Australia, it is different. There's this ancient vibe. And I think it does come from the fact that, you know, the trees and um, the nature, it's evergreen. It doesn't go through this death each year, this wintering process, which then provides this space for, you know, the human inhabitants to, to kind of cocoon and um, and rest and then re-emerge in the spring. That doesn't happen in Australia. And so the landscape, I think, demands this endurance from its people. And 
I think there's many people who have written about this evocatively over the years, it demands that you meet yourself. The nature there is also very loud and bodacious. The bird life is like nothing else. Um, And I think in some ways it, it invites us to be a little the same, you know, Greece is quite similar, the starkness of the landscape there, just like rock and ocean. Um, I think it also creates this reckoning um, with the people that visit there. And whenever I go to Greece, the Greeks will say to me, either Greece will embrace you or it'll spit you out. And it's very, very true. A lot of people who go to Greece feel that. And I think Australia does something a little similar. So yes, to answer your question, I feel that I feel very held by nature in Australia. It creates my sense of home. At the same time, I do feel this incredible sense of what uh, the Australian um, ecologist Glenn Albrecht um, once termed solastalgia. Solastalgia is a homesickness from our home in nature. And I I feel that all around the world, but I feel it particularly potently in Australia. Um, So it pains me. There's an ache that I feel, um, to answer your question, Kat. Um, I also think that this um, sort of particular sense of identity that Australians feel to the natural landscape, it's shaped our identity, our the sort of mythology of Australians, this, this post-colonial identity. Um, and it's created this larrikin myth, you know, this, this notion of the frontier man, you know, and it's often the man. It's man against the elements. And it's also created this anti-authoritarian vibe, you know, to to how we view ourselves. So Ned Kelly personifies that. Um, Ned Kelly, for those of you who don't know, was a bush ranger who kind of went out and stole shit, right, and stood up to the police and we hold him up as a national hero. Now, this larrikin myth um, has produced wonderful things. It's produced, I think, a tenacity to the Australian spirit, a creativity, uh, an ability to sort of go further and not give up. It was particularly rewarded during the war. Um, It's also led to a particular kind of egalitarianism or at least a vibe of that and also uh, this sort of fair go mantra, which I think really served the country very, very well for a long time or at least certain segments of the community. But um, I left in part because of this same mythology, um, because I felt, I began to feel very, I guess, unheld and cast out by that same mythology. Um, And I think there's two things going on here and I'll explain them briefly. The first is that I think that different questions are being asked of us globally, but also particularly in Australia where our past is catching up with us, right? We are incredibly rich country, um, but this wealth was built on colonising a First Nations people's land and that's not been recognised. And of course, we have the opportunity to do that to a certain extent with this voice referendum. Um, So this myth, I feel, has become ridiculous. It's it's actually quite shameful and it's hiding the shame. Um, yet we hang on to it and we hang on to it and we're seeing this kind of hanging on grippingness in the no campaigns um, terminology and messaging. Um, it's extremely myopic and I've been really worried for a while that this hanging on to this larrikin myth um, is going to leave us behind. Um also, when we grip onto this idea, this myth, right, and we hold it as as sacred, if you are somebody who is from a group that doesn't feel the country is entirely egalitarian and you haven't been given a fair go and you voice up, you immediately get shut down because it's like, oh, hang on, you're not being very Australian right now. And this, I think, is what a lot of minority groups 
feel and cop all the time. And we're seeing this playing out with um, the voice referendum and the responses um, that Indigenous people are being met with. That's a big conversation. It's happening in all kinds of places. I've written about it. I've done podcasts on it. Um, And I guess I'm also aware as I speak to all of this that I've got to be careful about uh, not alienating myself too much from this. But I did move in part because I didn't want to remain cynical about a country that I I feel very connected to. Um, I was finding I was becoming very cynical and negative and uh, that happens, right, when we feel held back from who we are and we feel saddened by something and frustrated. So I moved. I moved. I got away from the situation and um, I needed to be where I could have these kinds of conversations that life is demanding of us and these kinds of conversations that I have here on Wild with all of you listening and I also have over on Substack. Um, And I'm reminded of a quote that actually came up in the Substack thread just the other day. It's a Milton Friedman quote that goes along the lines of, you know, only a crisis will change things but, you know, a crisis, um, the action that we take post a crisis will depend on the ideas that are lying around at the time. And I feel that this is our opportunity right now to be creating ideas that we want lying around when things really get bad, as per some of the conversations I've been having here on Wild, um, about, I guess, catabolic collapse um, and, and, and what comes with that. So why Paris? That's part of the question I think that uh, is inherent uh, in the questions that uh, Kat and Amy are asking me. It's got a lot to do with the fact that I find that these conversations are happening here. And, you know, if I'm going to dig down deep into it, is it just because the French have always been like this? To a certain extent, yes. And I think the socialist principles here invite that. They they protest everything. There is a protest at all times. Um, that is part of the culture. It's part of the Latin cultures as well to discuss these kinds of things in a heated way. And women are certainly included. Like you're not ostracised. In fact, you are encouraged and applauded for being a vocal female in your early 50s. Um, I also think it comes down to the logistics of um, the apartments, particularly here in Paris. They're tiny. And so you don't really socialise, it's very difficult to even eat in these apartments. So life happens out on the street in these terraces, um, in bars, quite late into the night. Um, they're not happening behind picket fences in suburbia, um, or at least what I should say is this situation invites these kinds of conversations. And, um, you know, that has been my experience in the past and it's very much why I was attracted to Paris. Um Okay, so Amy, part of your question was, did I get pushback? Um, Amy, you you flagged that you're 41, you've lived a nomadic life, but you feel that your friends and family give you a bit of a hard time in Australia when you keep trying to leave and there's this sense that you should be staying put. Um, I've felt that pressure, um, but I've ignored it. And at the moment, I, I guess on this last trip, this, I suppose, it almost potentially final trip um, where I've decided to to base myself out of Paris. Um, I, I, I not only ignored it, I also saw there it was an in, in, inappropriate pressure um, because it was very much tied to gripping to the status quo. People who I suppose benefit most from the status quo will grip to it hardest and I feel we shouldn't be gripping to any kind of status quo um, that holds us back at the moment. So 
I almost felt it was a responsibility to stick two fingers up to the pressure to stay, to be stable at the age of, you know, 49 as I am now, about to turn 50. Um, I felt um, that, you know, it was it was entirely inappropriate to feel that pressure given the questions that the world is asking of us at the moment. So, uh, look, I've spoken for 13 minutes. I'll wrap things up by just saying tomorrow Australia – votes on something that I think is incredibly important, important, fundamental to Indigenous peoples. Um, It's a question essentially that asks us, do we want to stick with the status quo? Do we want to grip to this this larrikin mythology and all the other mythologies that keep the comfortable, the wealthy um, in their position of power? Or do we want to change? Um, That's what the no versus yes um, difference is is all about. And I think it will produce a reckoning either way, whatever the result. And I've resigned myself to that. A shake-up will ensue. And it feels a bit like this is Australia's Brexit, although I think it's probably even more fundamental to our national identity to that. To that. Um, I also think that some of what will happen will be a little bit like what happened with Julia Gillard's, our former Prime Minister's, um, misogyny speech that she she made in Parliament some time back. Australians largely ignored it. We kind of didn't want to hear it. It barely made the headlines in Australia until it made headlines in the rest of the world, in newspapers around the globe. And it went viral. And it was when we saw what the rest of the world thought of us that the penny dropped and we actually had a good hard think about things. And I think the same thing will probably happen with this voice referendum, um, particularly if it comes back with a no vote or a no a no majority. What I think it will do is will it, it will force us to have a really good look at ourselves because we will see the reaction from the rest of the world. Um, and that will be a good thing. It'll be a good thing regardless. Um, so... That's, I suppose, where I'm sitting in all of that. I feel that the questions that Kat and Amy asked me, the questions that I've asked myself over the last six months as I've been settling into my new life here in Paris and I've been settling into a new direction that I've been taking in the conversation I'm having here with you on Wild and on my Substack newsletter, um, it, it all is speaking to a very similar thing. Do we want to stay with the status quo or do we feel we need to be answering different kinds of questions and uh yeah that's going to come about i think the answers are going to come about um either way as per nate hagan's episode um last week on wild um you know we are going to be taken to a place of great simplification of reckoning whether we like it or not and we can choose to go there mindfully uh with our eyes wide open or we'll we'll be dragged there anyway um please do give me feedback on this format. Uh, I'm probably sounding a little awkward, which is my style, uh, especially because I am doing this in front of a camera, which I can't stand. So we'll see how long that lasts for. But yes, I invite everybody to come over and join the conversation that follows over on Substack. The link uh, is in the show notes if you want to hear it audibly. It is sarahwilson.substack.com. And hopefully I'll see you over there. Bye for now. (laughs) 